Hi everyone, welcome to what I think is episode 11 of Books with Jen. If you're listening to this on YouTube, in the description box down below there'll be a link to the playlist where you can watch all previous episodes where I've got interviews with Max Porter, Janet Ellis, Tracy Chevalier, many many different people. If you have downloaded this to listen to it, you can find previous episodes at www.jen-campbell.com forward slash podcast. Today I am talking with the excellent Louise O'Neill, real life mermaid, person extraordinaire. Um, I read Louise's first book, Only Ever Yours, when it came out in 2014. It's about a school where girls are trained to be pretty and good and always willing um, for whatever the person that they are paired up with wants them to be. It's a it's a novel where girls are pitted against each other, are constantly ranked, and it's an amazing, hard-hitting and cutting social commentary. Likewise, her second book, Asking For It, is about rape culture and explores so many, so many cruel aspects of society. And what I particularly love about Louise's books is the way that she creates very complex, flawed characters who we perhaps don't always like and can show us really unpleasant parts of ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge, as well as being books that also give an amazing reflection on the complexities of society as well. She has two new books out this spring. The first one is Almost Love, which is geared towards more of an adult audience and is is absolutely brilliant. It's about Sarah, who was once in a relationship with um, a man called Matthew, a very emotionally manipulative relationship. And it's her thinking back on that and how that has affected all of her consequent relationships and how she hasn't dealt with um, a lot of things in her past. Then another book of hers that is coming out is called The Surface Breaks, which is out in May. And it's a feminist retelling of The Little Mermaid. Louise, as you might gather, is a woman after my own heart. Um, And I was so thrilled that I got to meet up with her and talk with her this week because I feel like we've already met, even though we haven't. This is what happens (laughs) with the internet. Um, And because of that, I realized when I sat down to edit this podcast that we didn't really introduce it properly. So I'm just going to launch you right into the middle of the conversation. We were too busy, you know, chatting away to each other to actually think about introducing the podcast properly. So I apologize. (laughs) So I'm going to go to this interview now. And the question that I just asked her was, so you're on the publicity train right now with your new books. And how is that going? It's good. You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, doing publicity is always a little bit strange, yeah. you know, because you're just talking about yourself um, and your book, you know, over and over and over again. Yeah. And you do start to get slightly bored of your own voice um, by the end of it. Um, it's been an interesting experience this time because I I think I've been really taking care of myself. I think the last, um, for Asking For It, which was my second novel, um, the publicity really, uh, uh, it nearly broke me because, you know, it was just interview after interview after interview and I wasn't really eating properly and I was drinking and I wasn't, you know, sleeping. Whereas this time, I honestly treated it like it was a marathon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've gone to the gym every morning. I've, you know, eaten really well. I've got, like, after an event, you know, let's say 8 o'clock, I'm like, no, I'm just going to go back to the hotel and I'll get something to eat there and I'll go to sleep um, and just... Yeah, just really trying to take the best care of myself possible um, so that I will have the energy to kind of make it through the whole thing. So it's been interesting. Yeah, don't you think that's not the kind of advice that people give you before your book comes out? And I always like to tell people that 
have food on you because people forget mm. that you need to eat mm-hmm. not in a horrible way no, but just you're traveling and then you're there and then you're leaving and you're going back to your hotel so many pot noodles <laughs> yeah <laughs> too many snacks. pot noodles oh my god uh, yeah um, there's lots of nuts and fruit and you know like little snack bars like protein bars or whatever in my bag just in case that i um you know, as you said, it's not, and it's not a bad thing. It's just no. that it's so busy, and you're just trying to keep up with the schedule and make sure you, you know, you um, make all your, you know, you hit all your marks on time. So yes, carry food, carry for sure. food. And how do you deal with that? The because I think I'm still getting used to it. The the duality of it, the mm. being after watching you on trans stories and feeling like, you know, kindred spirit. Being in your uh, dressing gown writing and then going out and having to be fabulous. Uh, not that you're not fabulous in your dressing gown. Obviously. No, I'm really not. But <laughs> we both are together. But then um, and then going out and talking to people and the book is a living, breathing thing that people have read and it's not just yours anymore. No, it's you're right. And it is a strange duality and it's using very different parts of your brain. And I think what's what I found interesting is that the part like of the publicity like I tend I, I, I'm, I'm good at it you know that sort of way like I said I find it very easy to talk to people I find it very easy to you know public speaking I'm very comfortable with um, but I think I realised after a while that I wasn't sure if it was very good for me yeah. um, and that I found it quite draining you know you're giving so much of yourself um, and afterwards I would feel really empty and really hollow and when you're someone like me who tends to fill up that kind of hollowness with addictive behaviour it was something I had to be really really mindful of to make sure that I felt okay in it um, and then um, obviously when I'm at home and I'm writing and I have the, my routine and just going to the desk every day I think that's when I feel most centred um, and most grounded and that's why you do it but mm. obviously the publicity is part of the job and it is really nice to get to meet you know last night we had an event here and um, it, you know it, it sold out really quickly and you know people come and you know they, they it feels like they respond so deeply to the books um, and that's why I do it you know it's yeah. like the reviews are nice and you know the awards or whatever are nice but it's actually that face-to-face contact with someone who's read your book and it's really meant something to them yeah. um, which is lovely it also slightly makes me feel like a fraud you know when why well I think when they get very excited oh, and yeah. they're like oh my god I can't believe I'm meeting you know Louise O'Neill and I'm like but I'm only I'm Louise only me yeah exactly you know and it just feels like this oh god I feel nearly em- embarrassed but also it's lovely but I really it's just that I think um, imposter syndrome sort of kicks in yeah I think you've got to then just remind yourself of when you've met someone like that right yeah and you've been like like, oh my God, it's someone, who has that been for you when you've met um, someone? I tend, I never really get starstruck. Um, yeah. I think, and I was saying this to someone, um, one of the best parts, I think, about getting older and feeling more secure in myself was that I just felt like everyone is equal. And I suppose yeah. having worked at Elle, um, you know, a fashion magazine and working with a lot of um, celebrities on set, you very quickly just get desensitized to the idea of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I mean, unless I met Beyonce, in which case I would fall to the floor and like be like, you are my queen, you are my lord and my saviour, what shall I do for you? Um, but everyone else, I feel like I'm relatively chill. Yeah, I think that is nice, I agree, that seeing, and especially going to book festivals and seeing authors behind the scenes and how stressed out they get yeah. when you think that they're just going to be super cool. Yeah. I think I completely like freaked out when I met Caroline Duffy for the first time, which is maybe not your typical oh my god yeah. kind of thing but at the Edinburgh Book Festival I just didn't know what to say and I was 19 and I was just like will you please sign my I book know. and you could tell I could see I recognise now that look in her face where she's like I want to say something to you but I don't know like how you're going to respond so I'm just going to sign your book and smile yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then go and then 
let you run away. But it's nice I when appreciate. you meet someone like who, you know, whose work has really meant a lot to you or yeah. who has, um, you know, influenced you in some way as a writer. I think that can be a very special moment. And finding out that they're a nice person. Yes. Because it's lovely. the worst when you meet someone and they're a massive dick. I know. I think I've been, I'm trying to think, I've been relatively lucky. Most people seem to have been uh, pretty nice, but yeah, we'll see. Let's rewind and go back to the beginning. How did writing life evolve for you? Well, I was working for a fashion magazine in mm. New York um, and I had, at that stage, I think I was very, I had the idea in my head. I'd had it for a few years that I really wanted to write, but I wasn't, I, 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 I can't say I was a writer. Like I wasn't someone who, you know, I always kept a journal and I yeah. would have, um, in at university I would have written, you know, essays and obviously for, for college, but I wasn't someone who was constantly writing you know, short stories and poetry and, you know, submitting to journals or, you know, anything like that. I think I was so afraid of failing yeah. that I never gave myself the space to try. Um, and then I'd had the idea for Only Every Yours when I was living in New York. And by the end of that year, you know, my visa expired. I had to move home. Uh, my boyfriend broke up with me. I was so, I mean, I had 50 euro in my bank account and no sort of way of, I was like, when, is, well, when am I next going to get money, you know? Um, yeah. And I think everything fell apart, so I just fell with it. Mm -hmm. And there was this this feeling I was like, I'm just going to take this year and I'm just going to try and write. Um, and yeah, and only every year it's just I. It just seemed to flow. Like I feel like sometimes I wrote that book in a fever dream. It just like I, there's, the, there were large passages of it afterwards that I had no recollection of even writing. Mm -hmm. um, it just seemed to just come out of a very deep um, part of me. Um, so. Yeah, I always feel a bit. I always feel a bit guilty when people are like, you know, I've been writing since I was eight, and I, you know, I'm like, well, I get a diary and I love writing stories. But um, no, I, I think only of yours just it was. This was the first proper attempt. But I think that's that's nice in a way because then it's fresh and it's new and it's exciting and, you know, but we've been brought tea. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah. So it's 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 something that you're you're coming to having loved books for a long time mm. and now you're channeling it in a different way and it's just a different kind of experience. Mm. I don't think you have to be like, I've been struggling so long. I know. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> I feel, um, again, you're like really helping with the imposter syndrome here, Jen. That's okay. Um, so how long did Only Ever Yours take then if it was a part of like a fever dream? And um, I think the first draft was... I think it was a five or six months. Okay. Um, and it was much longer than it is now. I think it was like a hundred. I, I had read somewhere that an average novel was 130,000 words. Oh, wow, that's not true. Yeah, so I just kept going until I got to the, like 130. And I was like, the end. <laughs> like literally, mid-sentence, the end. Um, so there was a lot of editing that needed to be done. But yeah, it was about five to six mo um, months of like writing seven days a week, you know, um, and a thousand words um, a day, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so That's intense as It well. was intense. And actually, I am a quite intense writer, as mm. in um, when I, that's that's how my process seems to work, is that I completely lock away the outside world. You know, I just make this little cocoon for myself where, you know, I don't drink, I don't really go out that much. I'm You know, it's just a very quiet kind of existence where it's just me and the book and you know my pajamas as you're very well aware um, and uh, it's been a little it was a little bit harder with Almost Love um, and with The Surface Breaks which is the fourth novel um, because like I had the, with Only Ever Yours and Asking For It I had Asking For It written before Only Ever Yours came out so I still had that um, the freedom really yeah. because there was no other demands on my time and then when Asking For It came out obviously you know there was you know 
quite a few times in my time just around publicity and around travel. Just a bit. I mean, I hear it was a little bit successful. Just, just, a, tiny, just a tiny bit. Um, so it was, I, I had to make, you know, a really conscious decision in 2017, you know, to tell my agent, look, I'm I'm just a blanket no, unless mm. it's something really, really you think like is mm. really important or really special. Um, because... I just need to create that silence again um, and obviously that's even that's partly why I live in the country is because yeah. for me and look every writer is different like I know other writers are like no I need to be in the city I need the bustle I need to be observing people all the time whereas for me it's like I need complete I mean I need this sort of silence that would suggest that you know the apocalypse has come and everyone is dead within like a hundred miles you know yeah. so my if my parents are even in the house I'm like shut up <laughs> They're very patient, I have to say. No, I'm with you on that. Just me and my dog. Yeah, and that's oh, it. What's your dog but called? Lola. Oh, I don't know Lola. She's very sweet. Um, oh, and our tortoise, Penny Slide. But Penny is very, like, undemanding. Oh, okay. She's okay. She's quite quiet. She sometimes <laughs> rustles in the corner. Um, but I'm, when I was interviewing Claire Fuller, she said that she always likes to have the next book finished before the one before comes out. Yeah. I am not... Well, I was, I was going to say I'm, I'm not that good at doing that. I am with picture books, but not with full-length books which I think is probably what counts the most but yeah. I understand that because it, not just the demands on your time but the pressure mm. as well which I suppose maybe you didn't anticipate before any of yours came no, out. No I didn't and I think it was a really f- a strange experience sitting down to write Almost Love because it was the first novel that I'd written since I was published yeah. um, and I, had, I was supposed to start in January 2016 and by June 2016 I was like still too scared you know mm-hmm. like every time I sat down I just felt so paralyzed by not only I think I suppose the success in a way sort of paralyzed me but also the weight of expectation you know people saying well what issue is it going to be about and also I I think feeling as if because asking for it particularly in Ireland I suppose seemed to it was I think the catalyst I think people wanted to have that conversation I think Mm -hmm. it was just a useful way of doing it around Mm -hmm. sexual consent and I felt as if oh I'm my work can actually make a difference and then that felt like just almost too much to handle because I was like does every book have to make a difference does yeah. every book have to sort of ch- make a shift in, in a national conversation around a topic or an issue and I, I just I honestly felt like my fingers had sort of seized up yeah and um, and so yeah so I think it was trying to shut all that out trying to say come back to myself go well what is the book that I would want to read not even necessarily want to write but what what is the book that I would want to read um, and to I think I deliberately decided not to, I mean though to be fair I mean I thought I wasn't writing a political book and then afterwards when I read it I was like oh you're dealing a lot with gender and privilege and class and wealth I was like I just can't help myself <laughs> um, but um, I think I did just want to just bring it way back and say you know am I an author am I an activist can I be both but I think primarily that I am an author yeah. that I am artist you know that that is sort of the that is my job you know um so you we'll can't see. escape politics either. Oh, you can't. Yeah. No, not especially as a woman. Like it yeah. is like it is part of our everyday experience. You know, the political is the personal. Um, so even when you when I, as I said, when I'm trying not to write something that is overtly political, just because just of the mere fact of being a woman that exists in this world, it, it of course it's there. You know, of course issues around gender and feminism kind of creep into the work. I finished reading it. It's amazing. Oh, thank it's you. Amazing. I actually also listened to it. And the oh. narrator, which is really, I'm, I don't normally listen to fiction. I normally listen to non-fiction, but I was like, no, I'm going to listen to this one. So I've listened to it. What was her it. voice? Who's narrated? I presume it's a woman, is it? Aoife, 
somewhere. I can show you later. Okay. I can show you. But it's, it's weird your because voice now nice I'm and lyrical. It's so lovely. And now because yeah. I'm reading the surface break, I've got that's what I hear in my head <laughs> as I'm reading it. And I really, really love it. But it's just fascinating because obviously we want flawed characters, but you have created such amazing flawed characters. Oh, and with you. Sarah, I I love her and I'm so frustrated I by know, her. I know, I like, know. Sarah, no. <laughs> so, it's so funny, but I get a text message with people like, she's not going to do this. She's yeah. not going to do this. She's not going to do this. And then it's like, for fuck's sake, please. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so and let's talk about Sarah then. How do you go about creating someone like that and deciding what they are going to do in certain situations? Yeah. And um, for me, the characters are always what comes first. Like I yeah. have, you know, the general sort of idea. I'm like, this is what this is going to be about. And, they, you know, like a very, very vague sort of um, overarching um plan like I don't go into the specifics before the characters are really really ready mm. um, so then with the characters I'll, I, I have like it's all very high tech I have like an A4 pad for each new book and I'll do like mini interviews with each character that take around 10 A4 pages and it's stuff like it's even things like you know the secret that I've never told anyone yeah. you know my greatest fear so like the reader will never know this but I feel like I need to think of these characters as like really fully fleshed um human beings and it's a bit like you know if i if i gave you a scenario and i said how do you think your mother would react in this mm. you have a pretty good idea because you know your mother so well you're like i you know i'm 95 percent sure that this is how she would react to the situation so for me i have to be that familiar with the characters so that they feel that real to me so that like i have an understanding of why they would behave like this um, and I think with Sarah, she she's so flawed. I think she's a masterclass in how damaged people inflict damage on other people and on themselves yeah. unless they actually process that trauma. But she just doesn't have the emotional reserves. And she also hasn't had the support. You know, I mean, I've been in therapy since I was 17. And I think I would be a very different person if I didn't have that just I think that um, examination of my own behavior why am I doing this why what are my triggers like why do I react this way why is this really like upsetting me and I suppose I am very analytical in that way um, and very like probably pathologically self-aware um, and because of that it just makes it so much easier for me with characters that maybe other people are like what like what is going on here and I'm like well because of my interest I think in human psychology I'm very much trying to create very, very complex, complicated characters that behave, like, you know, and trying to understand that motivation and hopefully bringing the reader along with that as well. Yeah, and I admire that because I think with a character like Sarah, we it's difficult to talk about specifics yeah. without ruining it, which I'm not going to do, don't worry. But, <laughs> but um, you could lead them in a certain direction. You could say, this is a path not to redemption, but this is her learning and yeah. doing all of the things and learning how to act correctly. But people aren't like that. They're, they're very difficult and they, they don't follow that, the narrative that maybe like someone else would, would like to read. I know. And yeah. It, yeah, and I agree. And I think that, you know, maybe my books, I mean, to be fair, I'm not hurting, but like I was like, maybe my books would be more commercial if I had, you know, slightly more charming you know characters but I'm just I think as an author I'm just not that interested in that I mean I love like I, I have a real you know yen for other people's mm. like really charming lovely books and I, I don't mean that as a um, as an insult like I really enjoy yeah, yeah. reading books like that yeah. and I really enjoy going oh god I loved that character oh you know she was just so amazing and you know and that resolution and warm and yeah, yeah you know um, and there's, there's but I think there has to be a space for all types of fiction um, and for me I'm the thing that I'm always trying to get to with my work is emotional honesty and that sometimes 
can feel really painful like even when I'm doing it myself because I'm trying to get to the darkest parts of not like you know of myself but yeah like you know some parts I'm like I don't really like this about myself I'm going to shine a light on this and mm. sort of try and explore that in my fiction or you know parts of the friends might say to me you know like they're like I'm really ashamed of this part of myself and I'm like well those dark parts are, are also what make us human yeah. I think you know and it's about trying to accept them and not acting on them I think that's maybe the problem with Sarah sometimes is that she is quite impulsive but again as you said there's not necessarily redemption but I, I do think that Sarah I think will always be a prickly character I think she'll mm. always be a prickly person mm. but I think that you know she's also very young you know at the, yeah. at the novel is sort of 23 to 28 and there's massive there's massive learning in those years. I mean, I always say, and I'm, I'm being really honest here, I was like, I was such an asshole until I was 26. Like, I behaved in ways that I would be very ashamed of now and I don't think are reflective of the person that I am now. But yeah. I was just trying to figure out my own way. Yeah. So, she's not a monster. No, she's not a monster. And I just realised that I'm a terrible person. I'm the monster because I've left my phone on. Where is my phone? It's behind me. Um, but also, there are different kinds of... There are different kinds of satisfying books. Mm. There's that satisfying book where everything gets tied up in a nice bow. And then there's the satisfying book that actually gives you something that you feel is true and real. And um, even if it makes you angry or you think yeah. you wish a character hadn't done that, afterwards you think, no, okay, that, yeah. you know, that was that's the, all right. Yeah, that was the path that they were supposed to take yeah I think you and, know yeah and reading the book is like having that argument or difficult conversation with a friend where you walk away from it feeling like angry I'm making it sound like your book like made me feel really frustrated <laughs> didn't it? Um, but you walk away and you think oh and then you think about it and you think back on who they are and everything going on in their life and you think yeah. all right no I can come back to you and yeah and we can yeah exactly yeah. and I think what's been really interesting is to see because obviously, um, asking for it, there was a you know a real response to that, and with only ever yes. yours as well. But obviously, asking for it because of dealing with sexual violence, you know, that people wanted to share their stories. Mm. But I've been really taken aback by the level of um, the response to this even stuff because it's only out two weeks. I know, and I've been seeing on your Instagram stories that loads of people messaging yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. after a while, I was like, I can't keep screenshotting these yeah. because there were so. I think I probably got about a hundred, yeah. and it was all on. Um, most of it actually were on private message on Instagram because this was you know people didn't want to um, share them publicly. Yeah, um, and. They were so fascinating. Like people, I think what I found most interesting was people saying, um, "I felt really uncomfortable reading this book because I think actually I, I had to face up to parts of myself mm-hmm. that I I was I'm ashamed of or I didn't want to admit that they were there." And also, I mean, it's been really juicy. Like people oh, really? being like, "These are my Matthew story. You know, these oh, are wow. this is my Matthew stories." And mm. then people telling me. And like some of them are so. I mean, some of them are heartbreaking. Yeah. Like genuinely heartbreaking. You know, like very young women who. We're, we're manipulated by older men and I think what's interesting is that like a lot of people found Emma in asking for it to be an unlikable character but because she was the victim of this brutal sexual um, assault people obviously could find empathy for her yes. whereas I think with Sarah is that she's complicit in mm-hmm. her own degradation like she's a willing participant in this like you know he never Matthew never promises her anything no. um, so and I think that's what haunts her and that seems to be the thread from the messages that I'm getting from women what haunts them as well mm-hmm. they're like I don't know why I behave like this I don't understand how I seem to lose all sense of myself and my personal boundaries mm. and just made a fool of myself yeah. um, and I think that's actually what is the hardest thing to cope with afterwards is you're like I sort of did this to myself yeah and you're like I thought or I feel like I am a strong woman yeah I'm a feminist and I like yeah did the, I trying to understand this 
dual self. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's something that I, I think I mentioned. I, I, there was an interview um, in the Irish Times and I, I think it was one, a throwaway line in every single interview that I've had since over in Ireland, they've all asked about it, where I said the hardest place for me to maintain my sense of feminism is in a straight relationship, like a relationship with a straight man. For me, that is the hardest because I think we, we fall so instinctively into these ideas of traditional gender roles yeah. and they want you to be a certain type of woman and I'm like such a fierce feminist in every part of my life and then I think it's because I want that connection or because you love someone and you don't you know you you want them to love you too and and it's been really and I think it's definitely lessened as I've gotten older and I can definitely see going forward that I'm, I'll be more aware of that but it has been and then you feel very weak mm-hmm. you know you feel weakened and you feel like you've sort of let the cause down and yeah. it's just it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mind fuck to be honest yeah no no absolutely um also this book is about feeling good enough right or not not feeling definitely good not enough. feeling good enough <laughs> definitely more that one um and not just in relationships but in work life and in, yeah um especially in this book to do with art yeah um and it's I something know, i'm really interested in yeah have you found this in the literary world when you were starting out, I don't know how prevalent it is in with novels, but I found it in the poetry sphere, um, being a young female poet and then lots of older male poets mm. who want to be your mentor yeah. and look after you. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh my God, I, I love your work and this is amazing. And sometimes they are just really nice. But then sometimes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, there's a little bit of PS. Yeah, 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 it's... Yeah, and I think that is something... I mean, I have to say I've been pretty lucky that is in most... Um, it's actually been with younger men I've had um, experiences. Most of them are so nice, but, mm. you know, sometimes at um, book festivals, it, it like, they really undermine you, um, and they'll sort of basically neg you, you know, where mm. it's like they'll make you know kind of cutting remarks about your work, and I can tell them, like, okay, this person just doesn't, like, value me as a... or, yeah. or see me as a peer, you know, which is fine. But then, you know, a few drinks in they're trying to like drag you to their bedroom you know and it just makes me feel really cheapened uh, because it's like oh great not only do you not think my work is good enough but also you just see me as like Mm. a walking vagina do you know so it just is sort of like a double whammy but it's not sometimes not even that they don't think that your work is good maybe they haven't even read it but they're going to tell you that your work is not that great and they can help you yeah but that is not what that means i don't need your help I was at a book festival and it was um, I was there and it, my fifth book had just come out and I was talking oh, to this wow. one guy whose first book had just come out and he was like oh here's my business card if you ever need help writing short stories <laughs> call me and I was like I'm so sorry okay. also I've read Jen's short stories she does not need any help from anybody <laughs> you're so sweet you know I, when you when you messaged me saying you had read them I was like oh my god Oh no! I I I absolutely loved them because they sent them to me. I was like, "What a beautiful cover!" And um, I just couldn't I couldn't start reading. They were just so like just beautiful, like really beautiful. I just thought incredible. Well, you're a woman after my own heart because now you're writing about the little moment. Yeah, you have been writing about the little (laughs) moment. It just thrills me. Um, When um, it was actually my publicist at Two Roads, she said, "Have you heard?" Louise O'Neill writing a feminist <laughs> retelling of The Little Mermaid I was like oh my god what? <sighs> so this was last year sometime and I was like oh my god so I'm in the middle of reading it at the moment I love it so oh, thank you what is your relationship with The Little Mermaid well I I mean you know I was four when it came out yeah. like you know it's prime age I think women in their late 20s early 30s mm-hmm. we were you know because there hadn't I'm trying to think it was something like 30 or 40 years between 
you know the last Disney princess and like so the um, the Little Mermaid just kicked it, it off it was 18, 89 right it, yeah, yeah 89, it was but the I first think, one I saw at the because I, but I'm sure the one before was like 59 or something mm. so it was like some like a massive um, a gap and so it really just kicked off that whole like idea of Disney princesses and I was just see I lived by the sea and I also was like my mom would have said you know you, she said you were just such a water baby you yeah. know, which is funny because I'm a Pisces but she was like you know if, if you were really upset she said I'd just run a bath mm. she said, as soon as you got into the water you were fine and you know I was even as a child just constantly wanting to be in the sea and there for hours and like my parents had to drag me you know like, shivering with like you know wrinkled hands and just <laughs> like like a raisin and um, so I was I was obsessed with the sea like this kind of elemental just couldn't stop looking at it just wanting to like be a part of it and then when I when I saw the Little Mermaid I was like oh my god there's a possibility that I could go live there forever um, and I we could th- Ariel we could change places yeah, exactly. I want to be here I want to be there, there. <laughs> and I think as well for me um, and I, I don't think I, I could recognise it at that age but definitely um, as a teenager I think there was a part of me always that felt like a changeling mm. you know always felt very different um, and very you know, I, I'm so close to my parents but and, and to my sister, but very different to them. And this kind of, I felt I always wanted more for myself and saw myself achieving more than what maybe the world thought I was capable of. You know, my mom would have said, she was like, even as a very small child, she said, you were just... Which is, there was, I could just tell, she said there was just no containing you. She said, I just knew, and you know, I was like, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to be, you know, I had this idea for ages that I had been reincarnation and that I had been sort of like landed gentry in a, in a previous <laughs> lifetime. I was like, why do I not have servants in this life? I don't get it. Um, and I, so I think I could identify with her sense of longing, you know, mm. longing for something more, knowing that she could have more or she wanted more than, let's say, the world told her that she was capable of having or that she deserved. Um, but then as a teenager, you know, and I was into my 20s when I started, you know, my very burgeoning sense of feminism really began to sort of, you know, uh, take take flight. Um, I, I suppose I, you know, we read, particularly at university level, you know, reading Angela Carter and then um, reading um, original fairy tales. And I'm like, wow, this is really dark, um, the original Little Mermaid, you know, that she you know, she literally silences herself and mutilates her body in order that a man will find her attractive. And I think I could see the parallels even, you know, I'd had anorexia and bulimia um, Mm. as a teenager, like really, like, setting myself on fire basically like you know like just self-sabotage to the extreme where like I was harming like it is a form of self-harm mm-hmm. um, in order to fit into sort of these very narrow parameters of what was considered attractive to for the male gaze really you know um, I mean obviously anorexia is much more complex than that but that's definitely played a part mm-hmm. um, so I think when uh, Scholastic came to me and said you know we would love you to rewrite um, The Little Mermaid uh, like a feminist retelling it sort of felt like oh I'll get to reclaim her I'll get to sort of give her the story that I always felt like she deserved, that she wasn't just this cipher, that she was this very vulnerable, you know, complex character that I just wanted, I don't know, just to, as I said, just to reclaim her, you know, for a new generation. No no, no lofty uh, ambitions here at all, you know. (laughs) It's still very true. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that The Little Mermaid has always been or mermaids in general have been really interesting to explore new territory like mm. that. 
um, especially people on the outskirts. Um, I think she, she's a, a great symbol for queer culture too as oh, well. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah. Hans Christian Andersen wrote The Little Mermaid because he was in love with a man. Oh. Uh, yeah, and um, he was called oh, Edward... How did I not hear this? I don't, you've no idea how much research I did into The well, Little Mermaid. So. He was um, in love with his friend Edward Collin and we've got letters that he sent to him saying, you know, I want to be with you. I can't believe you're going to marry this woman. Um, and... So the Little Mermaid for him was an exploration of what it means to pretend to be straight in a world which says that you can't be who you oh, are. I love that. I know. I'm halfway through The Surface Breaks at the moment and loving it. Thank you. So, well, actually, it was so funny much. afterwards to see the parallels between Almost Love and Asking for It because, mm. or sorry, Almost Love and um, The Surface Breaks. You know, like they're obviously both of their mothers um, are dead and, mm. you know, Sarah's obsessed with the sea. You know, she, that's kind of constantly what she goes back to. And also, they're both about women being silenced yeah. in relationships. Like, literally I mean obviously literally in the case of the Little Mermaid so I think it was really interesting to see that these were obviously themes that in both novels that yeah. I was kind of trying to work out um, but you know one is for ostensibly for adults almost love and then the other one is for YA so yeah but I think that that's fascinating about writers though that we have these topics that we want to mine again yeah. and again I think we're trying to work through, we're, we're trying to work through them yeah I'm trying really to understand that. ourselves yeah right? no I agree <laughs> yeah, I agree yeah. and it is just trying to work it through issues or uh, themes or motifs that like really like I think are so deeply embedded within within ourselves that we we write to take it out of ourselves Mm. you know like one letter at a time onto the page just to carve it out of ourselves yeah very violent um, description of writing (laughs) there I like it though yeah (laughs) but also do you feel that you write that and then it's out and then you talk to people about it and you think okay, I can look at that again from this angle now that I've explored it with other people and thought about it. No, I agree. Well, I love when you're talking to academics um, who've, you know, written essays, particularly, I think, on Only Every Year's and asking for it. Yeah. And they always make it sound way more intelligent. Do you just go, yes, I intended that? that, Exactly. (laughs) Like, oh my God, yes, of course that's what I meant. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Um, But, look, to be honest, once I'm finished a project, I'm very much like, next one. Like, I like to kind of move on to the next thing as quickly as possible. I'm a bit like a shark if I don't keep moving forward. I'll die sort of thing um, so but you know I'm really proud of these two books um, and it's 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 lovely you know it's lovely to have you know this is probably my favourite but um, uh, I have to say then um, it's funny because Marion Key said that The Surface Breaks is her favourite so I th- you know I think they, they're all quite different so yeah. hopefully there'll be something for everybody there definitely is they're brilliant oh thank, thank you, you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Books with Jen. Please go and check out Louise's books. If you're listening to this on YouTube, they'll be linked in the description box down below. If you're listening to it elsewhere, go to your local bookshop, track down her works and devour them. I hope you're all having a great week and I'll speak to you very soon. Lots of bookish love. Bye.